Westables, good morning. Okay, I'm going to make one statement about the Super Bowl, all right? My mom and my mother-in-law actually sent me the slide that you're, the picture you're about to see on the screen here, and um, I just want us to think about the practical application of this for a moment here, okay? Um, if it doesn't come up, I'll, re- I'll tell you guys. You should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. Now, if we're really going to draw that analogy out, the head coach gets Gatorade poured on him, and he's right there, all right? So make sure you guys find Thomas if you agree with anything that is said this morning, okay? Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5 this morning. But in order for us to jump into Daniel chapter 5, I need to tell you a story that started when I was five years old, okay? I was outside, and I was playing at our house in our front yard, and I came across just a hole, an insect hole. And my mom had bought me these, do you remember those plastic fruit molds? Um, It was like you had a plastic orange with a green lid, and when you unscrewed that, it had orange-flavored sugar in it. If you're an 80s kid, you know. The rest of you are staring at me. Okay, so there was a, just go with me. There was an orange one, a strawberry one, and a banana one. And so I started dumping the orange sugar into this hole. I mean, most kids would have eaten it, but my inner scientist was, was curious. So poured this orange sugar in the hole, poured the strawberry sugar in, poured the banana sugar in, poured some water in, grabbed a stick, and started stirring. And I thought, something's going to happen here. And something did happen. This beetle crawled out of the hole. And just to show you how uh, dim of a bulb I was at five years old, I went, I just invented a beetle. (laughs) So I ran in and I was all excited and I tell my parents who very lovingly, very gently said, Nathan, you did not create that beetle. Okay, you irritated the beetle and it came out of the hole. Now you'd think I would have learned. I get to high school. I'm a freshman at Columbine High School. I'm standing in the hall, and this kid who had picked on me and picked on me and picked on me all through junior high, he's picking on me, and I'm just done taking it. I said, I don't care. We will fight right here, right now. And he looks at me, and he's like, what are you going to do, Harrison? Bite my ankles? (laughs) And you can't throw short jokes at me. I mean, I know him better than anybody because I've heard them all. I said, I will chew every last piece of meat off of your ankles, and you will remember this day, all right? Well, he's getting in my face, and I'm thinking, this is really going to happen. Suddenly, he backs up, and he's like, you know what, Harrison, you're not even worth it, and walks off. I was like, yeah, he must have noticed I hit my growth spurt, you know? (laughs) Not the four-foot-ten junior higher anymore. I'm five-foot-one at that point, okay? And... So I'm telling all my friends at lunch, I'm like, you should have seen it. I stared him down. He left, probably because he just, he saw that I'm, well, I'm growing. And my friends are laughing, and they're like, Nathan, that wasn't you. We were all standing behind you doing this to the kid. (laughs) So you'd think I would have learned. But now, even now, I catch myself, and I'll look over at my wife, and I'm like, I got Kara to marry me. It must be my charm. It must be that I'm tall, dark, and handsome, you know. And many of you, many of you in this room have not so lovingly and gently reminded me, nope, 
Nathan, that is only the work of God because only God could have done that. And many of you men in here have said, Nathan, you married up. And I am here to tell you, males, if you're a husband, we all married up, okay? And all the wives said, amen. That's right. <laughs> Did not mean to turn this into a marriage workshop this morning. So, But have you ever come across somebody who just doesn't learn? They just don't get it no matter how many times they, they go through a lesson or they're told. Yeah, we all know those people. Because there are people in your life and there are people in my life, and if I look at my life and be honest, it is very easy for us to think that we are who we are, we are where we are, and we do what we can do because of ourselves, because of an ability, because of a thing in our life. And the truth is we just don't learn. And that's something we do, but that's something God's people were doing thousands of years ago too. See, the children of God, the nation of Israel, they went through this. God would say, worship me, worship me. I will put you where I put you, and I will bless you. And they would turn constantly to idols. And they'd say, no, that got us here. No, that got us here. So that's worthy of our worship. And so God, after warning them, he said, you know what? You're going to go to timeout. And he put them in timeout. Seventy years. Okay, some of you teenagers in here who you've been grounded for a week, you're going to make it. Seventy years, okay? And for 70 years, God said, I'm not just going to tell you what you've been doing. I want to show you what you've been doing. So he raised up the Babylonians and he said, I am going to show you a picture of two Babylonian kings. And as you watch what it is they're up to, you'll see that that's what you have been doing. Let me show you a picture. And so for two thirds of that 70 years, we see it's Daniel chapters one through four, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he is a king who constantly is turning to idols, turning to idols, turning to idols. And yet, when his reign is finally taken away and he is humbled, he acknowledges that the most high God, we talked about this last week, the most high God rules over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And when he acknowledged that, his reign and his kingdom was restored. And so God is looking at Israel, he's saying, that's option number one. But as we look at Daniel chapter 5 today, he's going to say, this is option number two. This, between Daniel chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's a series of kings in Babylon, and none of them for more than a few years, until one named Nabonidus comes to the throne. And he's reigning, he's reigned for about 17 years, and at the end of that 17 years, he hears the Persians are descending on Babylon. So he goes to meet them at the battlefield, and they're defeated, they're routed. And Nabonidus flees, never to go back to Babylon. And this leaves a man named Belshazzar. He's like the second in command as king of Babylon. And now the Persians, they've surrounded the mighty walls of Babylon. And when chapter 5 opens up, you see Belshazzar. He's sitting inside the mighty walls of Babylon. He says, you know what, Persians, you're not coming in. And with all his pride and with all his power and all his arrogance, he sat inside and trusted the mighty walls of Babylon and the so-called God of Babylon, Marduk. And he was so unworried and so unafraid that he threw a banquet. And that's where we're going to pick up. Chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, we're in verse 1. Look what happens. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar 
his father, and this is a term that's not, it's not really his father. This is his predecessor that he, that he came, he's down the line from, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And this is what they would do. Whenever they had a banquet, they would get out something that represented the Babylonian god Marduk, and then they would just stand up idols of all the other gods that they said Marduk had defeated. So he gets out all these idols from all these nations of people that they had defeated. And then he looked around and he said, but where's, where's the God of Israel's idol? But there wasn't one. So he said, go get a representation of that God. And so they get this silverware and they get these cups and they pull them out. And it goes on. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And then look at what they do. Verse four, as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Just a word of advice. You don't do that. You don't do that to the Most High God who rules the kingdoms of men. But see, that's what's going on here. Have you heard those terms? These are, we think of these as church terms, but idolatry, blasphemy, that's what's going on here. Idolatry makes a really big deal out of things and blasphemy makes a really small deal out of God. And they're doing both at the exact same time. And they've turned things into gods and they're trying to turn God into a thing. And so finally, you realize that they are placing all their security, all their confidence, all their pride, all their arrogance into things that they think are keeping Babylon safe and secure. And they've completely belittled the one who is actually keeping Babylon safe and secure. And God is looking at the children of Israel. He's saying, you know what this is a picture of? I was up here on your list of priorities. Things were down here and you've done this. You've mixed up the place of God. And when we mix up the place of God, we mess up our relationship with God. I was in a class at school, and many of you I've heard have done this exercise. There's, it's called the NASA moonwalk exercise, okay? And the story, the backstory they give you is that, pretend, you're on a spacecraft, okay? And you were supposed to rendezvous with another spacecraft on the surface of the moon. But your spaceship has crash-landed, okay? And some of the, the equipment is damaged. And so you've got this list that you're going to see here of 15 items. And you and your team have got to prioritize what items are most necessary. Now, I know you're reading through that list. As you look at that list, which item would you say is most necessary, highest priority? Okay, I heard a few answers, but I mainly heard oxygen. Yeah, it's oxygen, just to give you the final answer later. But it's oxygen, because if you can't breathe, you can't do anything else. Well, our group got together, and um, I, I just wasn't taking the exercises seriously, as I probably should have been. But they got together, and everybody said, yeah, oxygen, number one. I was like, guys, go with me on this one, okay? We hold our breath, so we don't need the oxygen right away. We get out the life raft, you sit in it, we use the rope to tie the oxygen tanks underneath it, and then with the pistols, we shoot the oxygen tanks and it propels us to the spacecraft. 
I didn't really do that, okay? But don't we do weird things when our priorities get mixed up? And God is saying, guess what? You need me like the air you breathe. But you've mixed up the place of God, and it's messing up your relationship with God. Now imagine, imagine for a minute being a fly on the wall for this next part. This, this room where all this is taking place is in the same vicinity as where King Nebuchadnezzar, just two and a half decades earlier, had declared that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And in this same area, Belshazzar has just minimized that God. He's saying, the most high God, he's dead. The gods who deserve praise are the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. Well, let us see. Verse 5, the most high God enters the room. Look at this. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale, as well it should. Because you do not mock the Most High God who rules over the kingdoms of men. Well, as the blood is just draining from his face as he's become so pale, the queen, the queen remembers, wait a second, there was a man in this kingdom. There was a man who was a trusted voice in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. There was an advisor to the king, the most powerful man that this kingdom has ever seen. And his name's Daniel. And he, well, he can interpret these things. Verse 13, so Daniel was brought before the king. Now, if you stop there, can you imagine for Daniel yet again, he's going, here we go again. You know, I've been brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar a few times. And Daniel knows from experience that the most high God who rules over the kingdoms of men is going to show up once again. And he has shown up once again. Well, he goes on. And imagine how this felt. The king, King Belshazzar looks at him and he says, are you Daniel, one of the, after all Daniel has been through, one of the exiles? I mean, can you imagine being Daniel and hearing that, what he was going through? After all he'd seen for nearly four and a half decades walking next to Nebuchadnezzar. There's a story, an interview that Paul McCartney from the Beatles gave. And he's now a grandparent, and so Paul McCartney talked about one time he was over with his grandchildren, and they're playing rock band. And the song that came up on the game when Paul was playing was Hey Jude, a Beatles song. And he doesn't have, you know, his normal instruments. I mean, this is an Xbox guitar, okay? There are no strings. It's colored buttons, okay? So he's trying to figure out how to play these colored buttons and, and keep up with the game. 
And a neighbor kid who had come over noticed he was kind of having a little trouble. And he looked at him and he said, do you even know this song? And Paul McCartney's going, do I know this song? I wrote this song. And he said he really battled with having to to prove himself to a six-year-old who was questioning him. And I had to think that Daniel was going through the same thing. Do I know this song? I've lived through this song. And so it goes on. King Belshazzar, verse 16. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel, verse 17, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, before we go any further, there's something else we discover here. That one, when we mix up the place of God, we mess up our relationship with God. But as, we, as we've just seen, God's response, when we mix up the place of God, it's the hand of God. The hand of God. And if I'm honest, and if you're honest, I think we prefer that the hand looks a little something like this, right? <laughs> Hamburger helper, smiling. But as you look through Scripture... The hand of God is a mighty hand. It's the same hand that compelled Pharaoh of Egypt to let his people go. Because God said he will not let them go unless a mighty hand compels him. It's a hand that has created the heavens and everything around us. It's a hand that creates. It's a hand that compels. And in this case, as we're about to discover, it's a hand that comes against anyone who opposes the most high God, who rules over the kingdoms of men. There's a, there's a story about a farmer who owns a chunk, a chunk of land, and one day there's a knock at his door, and it's a, it's a surveyor. And the surveyor says, hey, I'm going to need you to let me on your land because I need to take some measurements, and we're going to be building on your land because it's actually our land. And the farmer said, well, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea right now. And the surveyor said, see this paper? This gives me the power, and this gives me the ability, and this gives me the authority to come onto your land. And so the farmer said, all right. So he goes out to the pasture and opens the gate where the surveyor needs to go to take some measurements. And the surveyor goes out into the field, and after about 30 minutes, on the horizon, he sees a bull. And this bull is looking at him, and the bull snorts, starts walking toward him. And then the bull starts jogging toward him, and his heart rate is increasing. And then the bull is charging at him. And the surveyor, panicking, looking at the farmer, he says, what do you want me to do? And the farmer goes, well, show him your papers. Show him all that power. See, this hand of God is one that will come against and charge over anyone and anything that opposes it. The most high God's hand is what we see here. And so Belshazzar, he's he's braced to hear the interpretation. And Daniel says, we just got to get one thing clear before I give you the interpretation. And look what he walks him through. Verse 18, O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, 
All the peoples and nations of men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged, and here it is, that the most high God rules over the kingdoms of men and sets them over them anyone he wishes. And Daniel is saying to Belshazzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, he remembered who reigns. And you have not. He goes on, verse 22, listen to this. But you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Daniel's making a big point here. And it's a point we've got, got, got to get into our hearts. That knowing about God, you can know the story. You can know about what he's done in someone else's life, but knowing about God is never a substitute for kneeling before God. Knowing about God is never a substitute for kneeling before God. And Daniel's saying, Belshazzar, you've known about him, but you have failed to kneel before him. In fact, he expands on that. Verse 23, instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you, you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not glorify. You did not glorify. See, to glorify something, you've got to make it higher and you lower. That's how we glorify the Most High God, who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. In other words, he is oxygen to you, Belshazzar. And you've known about him, but you haven't declared that you need him. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Think about that. Knowing about God is never a substitute for kneeling before God. But I think if we truly knew and if we truly saw who he really, really is, well, we would kneel before him. Tim Keller shares, a, shares an illustration that changed his life. He said, that God who is so big, the most high God, let me tell you how big he is. The distance from the earth to the sun is 92 million miles. Now let's pretend that that 92 million miles is represented by the thickness of one sheet of paper. The distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of those papers 70 feet high. The known limits of our universe would be a stack of those papers 310 miles high. That's the most high God. And you know what he said? That I hold all of that together with my word. God holds all of that together. At the same time, he holds every cell of our bodies together. See, that's a God that you don't just know about. That's a God you kneel before. So you look at all this and you go, Belshazzar, what are you doing? Children of God, nation of Israel, what are you doing? 
Why would you not kneel before this God? And the truth is, it's us too. Because we're reminded in the Psalms that there is no one who is righteous. There is no one who is good. There is no one who understands the ways of God. Paul reminds us in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, with that in mind, Daniel goes on. Verse 25, this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Verse 26, this is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end, Belshazzar. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting, Belshazzar. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. In other words, you're dead. Belshazzar, you're dead. And God is setting before his children two choices. A king who humbled himself and a king who stood in his pride. Next verse. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And you got to think at this point, Daniel's like, well, thanks, but this is like a Burger King crown right now because this kingdom is going down right now. And that night, the Persians surrounding the walls of mighty Babylon, they had been diverting the river into a swamp for the, for the few days prior to this. Some historians recorded this. And when the water level got low, they didn't need to go through the mighty walls of Babylon. They went right underneath them. In verse, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And this is not just the end of Belshazzar. This is the end of time out for the people of God. And he's saying, there's your picture, and there's your choice. Babylon is done, and the Persians now reign over this kingdom of men. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. It was the handwriting on the wall for Belshazzar. It was the handwriting on the wall for God's people. And it is the handwriting on the wall for you and for me. Because the Most High God, who rules over the kingdoms of men, he is just. And as Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed, everything he does is right. Now you hear that and you go, uh, uh. but it's not the end of the story because that most high God, he said, somebody's got to pay a price. Somebody's got to pay a price. And we look at it and we think, well, what? Come on. I mean, there are thousands of those sins against God in my life and in our lives and in this room. You're dead? That's the message? And we look at it through the eyes of men. We think of the size of the sin, but we don't think about the size of the one who is sinned against. The Most High God who rules over the kingdoms of men. And so this is his justice. But that Most High God, he said, someone's got to pay. And then you know what he did? He said, I'm going to pay. I'm going to pay the price. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth 
to become a sacrifice for you and for me. And he's the only one who could have because God would only accept an innocent, perfect, blameless sacrifice. And Paul, in the book of Colossians, listen to what he says. Because that God got on a cross and the justice of God was served as he died. But listen to what Paul says. When you were dead, that is the handwriting on the wall, you're dead. When you were dead in your sins and in your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And then listen to this. This is so, I just think the parallel is so cool. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. The handwriting on the wall, guess what? It was canceled. That means your chains are gone. And it was canceled for you because it was placed on him. So when you look at the cross, you know what that is? That is the perfect justice of God combined with the perfect love of God. And all you have to do, all you have to do is kneel to that God. I know there are some in here who you have known about God your entire life. Oh, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. Yeah, my neighbor keeps talking to me, or Thomas keeps talking to me, or all these people, they keep telling me about Jesus and God, and you know all about him. But the question is, have you kneeled before him? Because knowing about God is never a substitute for kneeling before God. If you have never done that, find somebody. Tell them, come find me, and we will kneel before him this morning. Because he wants to be savior of your life. He wants to cancel the handwriting on the wall for you and for me. And he did it at the cross. And you know what happens? We'll close with this. End of Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar declared it. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Will you humbly kneel before the Most High God who rules over the kingdoms of men? He's waiting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we sang earlier, you are a good, good Father. And so thank you. As hard as it is to hear sometimes, thank you for setting before us two kings, one who knelt before you and one who merely knew about you. We come before you now, and Lord, truly, you reign in our lives, but we have to let you reign in the lives of others. And so I pray for anyone in this room, reign in their hearts, Lord. Reign in their hearts. Bring all of us to the reminder, or maybe for the first time, that it's not enough to know about you. And that's no substitute for kneeling before you, the richness of your restoration and a relationship with you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Go Broncos. We'll see you next week.